Hello and welcome to session six of the recovery course. And tonight we are going to be looking at step four of the 12-step program. Tonight's talk is called Opening Pandora's Box. And it's given that title, it will become evident shortly, but step four is this. We made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves, which is very short and to the point. And with that, I've put a Bible verse from the Old Testament, which again is very short and to the point. And it says this, let's take a good look at the way we're living and reorder our lives under God. Let's quickly review what we have achieved so far. We've spent the last five weeks facing up to our denial, admitting that we are powerless to control our addictive and compulsive behaviours, by our willpower alone, and that as a result, our lives have become unmanageable and have been running increasingly out of control. And that is step one. Then in step two, we came to see that while we may not be certifiably insane, many of our actions and decisions are not those of someone we would consider a sane person, and that it's only with the power of God for some of us here, primarily through a relationship with Jesus, that we have any real hope of getting out of this mess that we have created for ourselves. And then in step three, we were encouraged to make a once-in-a-lifetime decision to turn our lives over to God, our higher power, and to submit our wills to him daily. For those of us who um, have, if you like, adopted the Christian faith, what that means is it involved what we call repentance, which is the turning away from our sins, which are the negative things that separate us from God. They damage us and damage those around us. And then we submit ourselves to God's view of life rather than our own. And we then ask God to fill us with his Holy Spirit so that our lives would be empowered and supernaturally transformed from within. Now, if we have done those three things, we've already achieved something that is quite remarkable. Because up until now, our lives have been predominantly self-centered. We may have been unwilling to even consider that there might be any power or wisdom greater than our own. And we've played God, we've ignored the advice of friends and professionals, and we've been in the driver's seat and have lost control, crashing the vehicle of our life into numerous brick walls along the way. All around us we have wreaked havoc, but in the space of just five weeks, if we have genuinely grasped those first three steps, we have begun to change. And we are now firmly on our way to finding the freedom that we long for. Don't think of the 12 steps, this journey, as a ladder made up of 12 rungs. Think of it more as a staircase erected out of building blocks. The foundation is step one, and then upon that foundation we place step two, step three, and so on. We can't skip a rung. Each step needs the one before. We can't do step one and then forget about it. We need every step, and especially step one. 
all of the time, otherwise the entire staircase collapses. If ever we find ourselves in a place where we uh, have relapsed, it's because step one hadn't really taken root deep inside of us and we're still in denial. So that means if we haven't completed the first three steps to the best of our ability, then there's little point actively attempting step four. If we are still in denial, which is step one, foolishly think that we can get out of our predicament by our own willpower, which is step two, and don't really see the need for a higher power, which is step three, then we will not be equipped to tackle step four successfully. So I'd encourage you, if you're in that place, try and spend the rest of this course considering the importance of these first three steps and their relevance to your life. Because if we forget that we are powerless to control our addictions and compulsive behaviours by willpower alone, then we are more likely to wake that sleeping tiger that we talked about on the fourth week. And remember, since it has continued to grow in its sleep and is now hungrier than ever, we are in big trouble if we wake it up. We will be mauled just as we always have been, only this time it will be even worse. Every time we relapse, it gets harder to make that tiger go back to sleep again. We choose on a daily basis not to use our addictive behaviour of choice, not because we have somehow mastered it, but for the opposite reason. We have learnt from experience that if we do wake the tiger, it will annihilate us. And with each step tackled, we've encouraged each other to be courageous. But when it comes to going back in the cage with our addiction, I suggest extreme cowardice is the better option because we always end up losing. If, however, we have completed the first three steps of the 12-step program to the best of our ability, we have, as a result, got right with God. And this week, we begin the next stage of the journey, which is getting right with ourselves. And we do this by making a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. In Greek mythology, Pandora was the first woman, and according to myth, she opened a container releasing all the evils of humanity, which were things like greed, vanity, slander, and envy, leaving only hope inside once she closed the box again. And that's the process we are about to embark on. In step four, we begin to look at and free ourselves of some of our entrenched long-standing resentments. Very often, we hear people on this step say, that's no problem, I haven't got any resentments. Uh, a friend of mine felt that way, but once they began to look more closely, they actually came up with a list of over 800 resentments. Doesn't matter how trivial we think our resentments are, they affect us and we need to get rid of them. On the other hand, there are many folk who have suffered terrible abuse, could be sexual, physical or mental abuse, and who are justifiably overflowing with anger and bitterness. And we steer clear of dealing with the root causes of our torment 
because the memories are just too painful. No way do we want to go there. A lot of effort has been expended on keeping these things locked away in a deep, dark place, and there's no way we want to haul them out into the light for anyone else to see. But we need to be honest about this. Harbouring resentment is like the burying of toxic waste. If we do not begin to free ourselves from the prison that resentment is, these destructive feelings are very likely to thrust us into relapse, no matter how far and how successfully we get through this program. The biggest obstacle to successfully completing step four is fear. We have a strong reluctance to face up to the realities and root causes of our addiction, and fear will prevent us from producing an honest moral inventory. But as always, God has words of encouragement for us on this. In the Old Testament, in a book called Joshua, it says, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. The purpose of this moral inventory is to candidly scrutinize and confess our faults to ourselves, to God, and to another person we trust. And we're probably not particularly looking forward to this step, but we need to remind ourselves that its purpose is not to make us feel bad about ourselves. We are simply acknowledging the resentments we are holding against individuals and organisations and disclosing the things about which we are harbouring guilt and shame. And, of course, the payoff is the freedom we are longing for, and that has to be worth any momentary discomfort. The originators of Step 4 describe it as making an inventory. What does that mean? Well, it's very simple. First of all, our inventory, or a list, should be searching and fearless. And we need to list all people and organisations against which we are still storing resentments. And we need to be courageously honest, honest and ask God to reveal our part in each event and how our actions affected us. Secondly, our inventory is a moral inventory of ourselves. Not of the people who have got right up our noses over the years. I'm not evaluating the moral standing of my enemies, my family, that sadistic school teacher, my boss who sacks me. We are making a moral inventory of ourselves. The first area we are going to explore is just one in particular, resentment. Resentment results from hardening ourselves to the things that in some way have hurt and wounded, this, wounded us. And when these resentments are suppressed, the result is anger, depression and frustration. And what do we do when we get angry, depressed and frustrated? We use. 
The second area the authors of the AA Big Book suggest we explore deals with our sexual history, where we have been selfish, dishonest, unkind to others. So, has someone been harmed or hurt by my sexual indiscretions? Have I treated someone as a mere sexual plaything? Was I deceitful in offering them love when all it was really about was my own personal gratification? Has betrayal played a part in my sexual liaisons? Third area we are encouraged to explore is fear. Much of our anger stems from this one area. We get angry because deep down we are frightened and insecure. Fear influences many areas of our life. The masks we wear and the character faults that we have developed often spring from this particular dark well. Finally, when we are exploring our resentments against others, keep an eye out for resentments that you hold against yourself. It's one thing to forgive others, but it's often another thing to begin to forgive ourselves. And our mind often becomes consumed and defined by condemning regrets, such as, why on earth did I do that? Why am I so stupid? And of course, all those if-onlys that we looked at in session three. If only I hadn't done that. If only I hadn't gone there. If only I hadn't said that. There's an old adage that does the rounds at Anonymous Fellowship meetings, and it goes, you're as sick as your secrets. It has also been said that what we don't talk out creatively, we act out destructively. We don't know how it works, but experience tells us that unshared baggage keeps us sick. But when we begin to share those things that we have kept secret for so long, we begin to find freedom and healing. And maybe some of you already in your small groups, you've shared stuff you've never shared with another living soul, and already you're actually feeling lighter than you did when you came in here five weeks ago. Some of us may have already discovered in our groups that when we bring out into the light those parts of our lives that we have locked away uh, in the dark, they begin to lose their power. And when we see that God and those around us accept us, warts and all, in a non-judgmental way, it helps us to come to terms with our baggage and we can begin to move on. Remember, your secrets do not surprise anyone here because we all have comparable ones of our own. The object of step four is also not to give us a sense of our extreme immorality or wickedness. We probably already have an exaggerated sense of that. It's why so many of us struggle with low self-esteem, even self-loathing, and it's these lopsided feelings of guilt and shame that have probably kept us using. Guilt is actually a God-given gift that through his Holy Spirit he uses to correct and realign us when we're wrong. It's what Christians over the centuries have called conviction. But we mustn't confuse conviction with condemnation, which is the distorted view of guilt. Once we have made 
the decision to turn our will and our life over to the care of God, when we've repented of the things we've thought and done wrong and accepted the forgiveness that comes through Jesus, guilt's purpose is finished. And as St. Paul wrote in his letter to the Romans in the New Testament, he says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But, if you're anything like me, so often we continue to feel bad about the things we have done in the past and we continue to beat ourselves up, especially about the things that God has already forgiven and wiped clean. Now that is condemnation and it does not come from God. Remember, we are not bad people. We've done many, many good things. After all, we are made in the image of God. But over time, we have done some shabby things that we now need to put right if we are to experience full healing and get free from the addiction that is holding us down. Christ has forgiven us our sins, he's freed us from the guilt, so let's not condemn ourselves as we work this step four. As St Paul reminds us, it's a verse that we've come across a lot on this course, he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And in the Old Testament, David, who wrote many of the Psalms, he encourages us uh, with these words. It's, it's a prayer that he prayed at the time. And he said this, Investigate my life, O God. Find out everything about me. Cross-examine and test me. Get a clear picture of what I'm about. See for yourself whether I've done anything wrong. Then guide me on the road to eternal life. So, the intention of this session is simply to bring out into the light some of the issues hindering the healing process. And as St. James writes, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. Why? So that you may be healed. There's tremendous power in sharing our stuff with others. That is why this course of Alcoholics Anonymous works. It is sharing our baggage that makes us well. Today and next week, we're going to examine five areas of our lives, and it's in exploring these areas that we shall end up writing an effective inventory. And the five areas are this. My relationships, am I seeking revenge? My priorities, me first or God first? My integrity, can I be trusted? Fourthly, my mind, is it open or closed? And finally, my body, do I respect or abuse it? And we shall consider the first one tonight, which is my relationships, am I seeking revenge, and tackle the rest next week. So, my relationships, am I seeking revenge? The ancient Greek philosopher Aristotle wrote, anyone can become angry. That is easy. But to be angry with the right person at the right time and for the right purpose and in the right way, that is not within everyone's power and that is not easy. 
Although it's not easy, Jesus reminds us of the need to forgive. In what has become known as the Lord's Prayer, he tells us to pray, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Now, it's not always specific people that we hate, but also organisations, especially if they represent authority or power over us in some way, such as the police, banks, solicitors, bailiffs, traffic wardens, teachers, the church, and so on. The problem with harbouring resentment is that it doesn't actually change anything. It has little or no effect on the subject of our anger, but makes our life a misery. And the first step to getting rid of a specific resentment is to write it down on your inventory, on your list. As we examine our hearts, it's amazing just how many we come up with. In fact, it's a whole lifetime's worth. Now, resentment can also spawn a number of negative traits within us. The first one, which is a very powerful one, is jealousy. And jealousy is not a single emotion, but actually consists of a number of feelings all rolled up together. And it can reveal itself as anger, betrayal, paranoia, depression, feeling excluded, fear, hurt, inadequacy, feeling powerless, a whole host of things. And one characteristic that is almost always present in jealousy is fear. Fear of change, fear of the unknown, fear of abandonment, fear of losing control in a relationship. And fear hits at our self-esteem and targets our desirability and our sense of worthiness. Recognising and acknowledging these fears is key to taking away jealousy's power. And when we feel jealous, it can sometimes be helpful to ask ourselves, what is it that I'm really afraid of? What is the worst thing that could happen? If it does happen, is it really going to be the end of my world? In the Old Testament, there's a book called Song of Songs, and it describes jealousy as unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. And I think all of us who have struggled with jealousy at one time or another just know how destructive it can be within us. A second negative trait caused by resentment is criticism, which expresses itself by constantly putting a person down. Now, the things that we say can either bless or curse a person for life. And in that sense, the tongue can be the most powerful muscle in our body. Those of us who are parents would be wise to think of some of the things that we may have said to our children that could scar them for life. Sometimes it has been said to us by our own parents. Things like, oh, you're so useless. Can't you do anything right? 
go away, I don't want you. Did you know that you were actually a mistake? Out of interest, if you are a parent, when was the last time that you apologised to your child for something you said or did wrong? If the answer is never or rarely, then that is an area of our life we will be wise to review. In James, James in the New Testament, he writes this, if anyone considers themselves religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on their tongue, they deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Third negative trait resulting from resentment is the tendency to justify ourselves by blaming others. Someone once said, if you blame others for your failures, do you credit them with your success? Dr. Wayne Dyer wrote this, all blame is a waste of time. No matter how much fault you find with another, and regardless of how much you blame them, it will not change you. The only blame, he goes on, the only thing blame does is to keep the focus off you when you are looking for external reasons to explain your unhappiness or frustration. You may succeed in making another feel guilty about something by blaming them, but you won't succeed in changing whatever it is about you that is making you unhappy. A book in the Old Testament called Hosea says this, but don't look for someone to blame. No finger pointing. Before we begin this step, here is an important health warning. Start working on this step alongside a sponsor or a mentor of your choosing. Maybe ask one of your group leaders if they can spare the time to help you on this phase of your journey. It can be a little destabilizing, digging around in some painful memories, and we need someone we can trust who will empathize with our pain as well as support and encourage the progress that we are making. Our sponsor will help keep us on an even keel in the middle of what may be a storm for some of us. And as we begin to work step four, remember this. God, your higher power, is for you. And as we begin to step out of our denial and into God's truth and light, we will find life. The pain of this step is worth doing because we will find life. And we will have begun to deal with the resentments hindering our healing in a constructive manner. And once they're out in the open, as was the case with Pandora's box, hope will be the only thing that remains.